Hello amigos, you're listening to Square Pegs, a podcast for the insatiably curious mind, fascinated by new ideas, experiences and perspectives. I'm your host Sheila Bett. Join me for the adventure of a lifetime as we explore, learn and grow together. Hello Square Pegs. Thank you for tuning in to a new episode of the Square Pegs podcast. I am Sheila Bett and today we'll be talking about the woman king. How do we create African or black heroes without sanitizing the ugly past of slave trade? The Woman King recently premiered around the world and audiences like myself were excited to have yet another African hero story. I say this loosely as a huge fan of the fictional kingdom of Wakanda, but also as a proud native of this rich, diverse continent. Throughout our childhood and especially in formal education, we heard tales of strong, powerful even mythical or magical people from our local region and around Africa. Even then, when I think of how history was taught in school, more emphasis was made on the post-colonial period and figures of significance during this time. Yet the history of our country's politics or politicians was hardly something that could titillate a curious mind drawn to stories. I believe most of us are drawn to stories. Books, films and poetry are popular because stories are embedded in the mind in a way that most information just isn't. Back to Woman King, the movie. Viola Davis and company were doing media rounds for a little while to promote the film long before it premiered, wetting our appetites for its release date. I must say, being a feminist and strongly drawn to stories that portray women as strong, powerful, resilient agents of their own lives, this one was going to be a kicker. And not just because it's loosely based on a true story or centered on a people we on the continent would refer to as our brothers and sisters. It is simply the fact that women are the heroes, the protagonists of this film. I was excited about The Woman King, much the same as I was about watching Wonder Woman and Little Women. Heck, even Iron Lady was a film I couldn't wait to see despite mixed feelings about Margaret Thatcher. Women-led stories don't have to only portray them as heroes. Oh no, we're much more dynamic than that. Throughout history, women have been heroes, villains, and everything in between. The important thing is to represent the feminine in an accurate, nuanced, and balanced way. We are human after all, and humans are inherently complex creatures, whatever sex or gender. In Nairobi, Pinky Galani, along with sponsors, offered us an opportunity to celebrate yet another Hollywood feat, one that a top-of-the-crop actress, Viola Davis, was heavily involved in. It was the Woman King official premiere in Kenya, and I tagged along with some girlfriends to revel in the glory of our illustrious African sisters. Our entourage was a mishmash of women from Eastern Africa, a few from the West, and an African-American, a kaleidoscope of proud black women. And not just black women, but men and women from other cultures who respect and appreciate ours. We'll not get into the details of whether we all share a culture. Let's just say that there can be a certain camaraderie and that's good enough for me. We had bitings before the main event and some of us got our faces painted. Okay, I didn't, but it was on offer and those who opted for it had beautiful lines and patterns etched on their faces for the evening. The movie was a pleasant watch with upbeat Afrobeat music featuring in the soundtracks and stellar acting performances as well as beautiful costumes for our Pinterest boards. I even got to watch some renowned British actresses for the first time, some whose work I will now look out for. What came as a shock was the revelation a few days later 
that this film's portrayal of the Agogie, an all-woman army originating from what is now known as Benin, was a complete rewriting of history, a heavily redacted version of the truth. It goes without saying that there might be a few spoilers from here on out, so if you haven't yet and are keen to watch the movie, you can pause now and return after you're properly caught up. If you're still with me, that's because you couldn't resist listening to the rest of the podcast or you've already watched Woman King. Quick disclaimer, this is not a bashing of Woman King or anyone who was involved in it. Like I said, some great actresses were brought to my attention, like Lashana Lynch and Sheila Atim, and it's a great pleasure to witness the continued rising star of South African thespian Thusom Bedu, who I first saw on the Sugar series. Hers is a similar trajectory to what we saw with Lupita Nyong'o almost a decade ago. This episode is a thinking out loud or musing on how we choose to tell our stories, especially when these stories involve controversial characters, sometimes even despicable people portrayed as everything except who they really were. We know the villains who've existed in human history, and we know them well. Some may be up for debate, but most are unanimously seen as evil or vessels of it. Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin Dada, and King Leopold II are some of the characters you'll find in most lists of leaders, quote-unquote, who are known for their reign of terror. The Agogie warriors of the Dahomey tribe have featured much less in history. When we think or speak about the horrors of slave trade, those who get the least airtime, so to speak, are the Africans who traded their own in exchange for vast wealth. We don't hear much about those who were enslaved by their local neighbours within this very continent. The horrors of slavery were not only exported to the West on ships that went to big plantations in the Americas and the West Indies. In fact, slave trade already existed in various forms within Africa long before the Arabs, British, Germans, Spaniards or Portuguese came and expanded it to the rest of the globe. Slavery is still happening in different degrees, camouflaged in various industries in Africa and around the world as we speak. That brings us back to The Woman King and how the story was rewritten to make us connect to and empathize with the brave, strong and powerful women depicted as the Agogie warrior women of the Dahomey Kingdom. The Dahomey Kingdom was ruled by King Gezo when the women army was expanded as a likely response to a loss of substantial number of men through conflicts with the neighboring Yoruba. Legend has it that the Agogie were brutal female warriors who often captured slaves in the dead of night and would later sell them to European slave traders and keep other captives as slaves within their kingdom. The Agogie were supposedly considered to be wives of the king and in this way sworn to celibacy. In The Woman King, the Dahomey Kingdom was depicted as a slave trader community, though little emphasis was placed on this fact. Instead, the film showed the Agogie capturing slaves and conscripting them into the force and later rescuing slaves from European slave traders. An interesting angle for the film to take, considering the Dahomey continued to trade slaves almost two decades after its abolition among British colonies. The Dahomey had indeed explored palm oil as a trade, but it was far less lucrative than the trafficking of humans for labour. On the one hand, we can criticise the sanitization of the Agogie as shown in The Woman King. We can even question the use of the word king as embodied in the film to illustrate strong, powerful, vicious warrior women who could hold their own in hand-to-hand combat, women who fought valiantly. 
a trait credited to the masculine. We could even see this film as opposing feminism. The Ogojia women were seen as wives of the king, an obviously patriarchal perspective, and sworn to celibacy by virtue of this. But we could also see the nuance of a story that shows women in charge, albeit questionable as good leaders. When I learned about the true story that inspired this retelling via Hollywood, I questioned the choice to make an old enemy of one who was enslaved the hero. How could it sit right for a descendant of slavery to speak of one who played an active role in their enslavement or the enslavement of their people in a flattering way? Maybe it's as simple as it's easier to sell to a large audience. This is a question I'd be curious to ask the producers of The Woman King and even the actors who were cast in this movie. In my journey through the internet to understand this story, or should I say history better, I found a video clip on YouTube where Lupita Nyong'o visited Benin to do research on the Dahomey Kingdom and its Agogia warrior women. It was later revealed that she had initially been offered a role in the film, and upon learning the real story, she opted to extricate herself from it, essentially choosing to not participate in the sanitizing of a gruesome past. One that not only affected people sent to slave colonies by ship, but those who stayed on the continent and suffered a similarly horrific fate. Perhaps made worse by the fact that the perpetrator looked the same as the victim. I'll let you be the judge of that. It reminded me of a curious story I read early this year featuring Ayuba Suleiman Diallo. The tale left me puzzled for weeks. I came across this story in an unlikely forum art history, a painting from the 18th century by William Hoare of Bath, of a young, poised and confident African man. The painting is peculiar for its portrayal of a black man in a regal stance embodying class and dignity, a gentleman. This during a time when it was more the norm for European artists to illustrate black people as slaves, dangerous and violent creatures, or caricatured figures with exaggerated features and expressions. The story goes that Ayuba was born into an elite family of Muslim scholars in the Senegambia region, or what is now known as Senegal. He studied the Quran from a young age and knew it by heart. One day, he went to the Gambia River area to trade goods and slaves owned by his own family. The Mandinka tribe captured him and sold him to the Royal African Company, a British company that participated in the transatlantic slave trade. Apparently in those days, there was an unwritten rule that only captured prisoners of war would be sold into slavery. But his captors shaved his hair and falsely presented him as a prisoner of war rather than a kidnapped member of an aristocratic African family. He managed to convince the traders that his father could pay the ransom for his release, but the messenger was late to return and he ended up on the ships, later sold to an American slave owner in Maryland. Throughout the period of his enslavement, he stayed devoted to his religious beliefs and prayed five times a day. After a while, he attempted to escape slavery, but was caught and imprisoned. While in prison, he met Reverend Thomas Bluett, a lawyer who would later play a big role in his freedom from slavery. Bluet realized that Suleiman Diallo was from a noble background and allowed him to write a letter to his father back home in Arabic. 
This letter started a series of events where British traders from the Royal African Company and other members of the British nobility lobbied and even paid for his release to return home a free man. In between traveling from the US to the UK, Ayuba Suleiman learned English and would later translate Arabic manuscripts for the British, proving himself resourceful. He eventually managed to return home in 1734, where he learned of his father's death and ironically, according to some sources, returned to life as it used to be. Turns out, he ended up working for the Royal African Company as an interpreter and slave trader until his death in 1773. Well, he also rescued his fellow Muslims from slavery. What puzzled me most is after living through the horrors of slavery, he went right back to trading slaves. Goes to show how complex the human psyche can be, what motivates our actions, what could change or fail to change our perspective if not experience itself. How could it be that he still believed after all he had been through that humans were not all of equal importance and that certain people were destined for a less fortunate fate than others? Was he separate from his fellow slaves back in Maryland? The answers might lie in his memoirs, which I'm curious to get a hold of. I'll leave you to stew on this. As far as Woman King, the filmmakers are entitled to creative license, to interpret characters from real life and adopt them to their story in whatever way they find most suitable. But wouldn't it be even better to tell a story of real African heroes? To portray these strong, fierce women warriors with nuance and accuracy while educating the masses on the complexity of human choices and motivations. Just a thought. Thanks for listening to the Square Pegs podcast. I've been your host, Sheila Bett. As far as the woman king, the filmmakers are entitled to creative license, to interpret characters from real life and adopt them to their story in whatever way they find most suitable. But wouldn't it be even better to tell a story of real African heroes? There are many of these kind of stories. To portray these strong, fierce women warriors with nuance and accuracy while educating the masses on the complexity of human choices and motivations. Just a thought. Thanks for listening to the Square Pegs podcast. I've been your host, Sheila Bett. Ba-da-da-da-da-da.
I feel like that song puts me in a really good mood. 